You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 55 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, Mark Herleman, and with me like Lando Calrissian with the shiny new cloak, the EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hello, what have we here? Hello there. <laughs> That's pretty good. Hey, How's go. it going, Nathan? It is uh, going well, going well. Starting off uh, new recordings in a new year. I like this. Yeah, I can't believe we made it through the apocalypse, man. Fandom oh, no, 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 the apocalypse is still coming, it's just, you know, called Disney. Anyway. Ah, ooh, ooh. Nah. Well played, sir, well played. <laughs> Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough quote questions. Questions that have bothered you a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look forward to the publishing lineup of 2013, as well as what's in store for the EU. You can consider this your spoiler warning, because here we go. That's right, and speaking of things that we were looking forward to, there is one that it seems we're not going to wind up finally getting. If you've been paying attention on social media lately, you've probably already seen a little bit about this, but the idea is that the White House, the American executive branch, has set up a new part of their website, petitions.whitehouse.gov. It's called We the People, and the idea is that since the First Amendment gives people the right to petition the government, actually petition the government for a redress of grievances, uh, we need a chance to be able to put forth ideas to the government and comments for concern uh, so that maybe we can get a response back from the White House itself. And what they've come up with is that there are these two different thresholds that you need to meet for any petitions that you put online, and if you meet those thresholds, uh, there'll be a response. The first threshold is that within 30 days, you have to be able to get 150 signatures. Once you do that, it is publicly searchable to everyone on whitehouse.gov. Once you then reach 25,000 signatures within 30 days, it will require a response from the White House. Uh, maybe not necessarily from the president <laughs> himself, but it'll require one from, any, from someone. And uh, what we have here, uh, created on November 14th of 2012, so we're heading towards the second month of this now, we have, uh, we petitioned the Obama administration to secure resources and funding and begin construction of a Death Star by 2016. Then it says, uh, the actual text of it, <laughs> Those who sign here petition the United States government to secure funding and resources and begin construction of a Death Star by 2016 by focusing our defense resources into a space superiority platform and weapon system such as a Death Star, the government can spur job creation in the fields of construction, engineering, space exploration, and more, and strengthen our national defense. As of the time we're recording this, it has a total of 34,435 signatures. Which is nice. <laughs> nice. Which means that someone has to come in and respond to this for the administration. 
And what happened was Paul Shawcross, who is the chief of the science and space branch of the White House Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, he was the one elected to do so. And this man must be a Star Wars fan because he has built in um, quite a few little side references that shows that he really is thinking Star Wars as he's talking about this. It's not just a, well, we can't do that, but there's actual Star Wars references. His official response. First off, it's entitled, This Isn't the Petition Response You're Looking For, which bodes well just yeah. to begin with. Uh, he says, The administration shares your desire for job creation and a strong national defense, but a Death Star isn't on the horizon. Here are a few reasons, and he gives three bullet points. The construction of the Death Star has been estimated to cost more than, wow, how many zeros is this? Uh, let's we'll just say eight, 80 or $850 trillion, just to round it up or down. Well, let's see, that's <laughs> million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, is it quintillion? Yeah, uh, suffice it's going to cost a crap load of money. Eight, five, zero, and then one, two, three, four, five different groups of three zeros each. Uh, we're working hard <laughs> to reduce the deficit, not expand it. I would argue that, but this isn't a political show. Um, second bullet point, the administration does not support blowing up planets. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one, Whistler. <laughs> Third bullet point. Why would we spend countless taxpayer dollars on a Death Star with a fundamental flaw that can be exploited by a one-man starship? Woo-hoo-hoo! Yeah, we're... This guy needs to be on Palpatine's payroll. <laughs> we have, then, uh, the actual full response after those bullet points. He says, however, look carefully. He says, here's how, and gives a link. And you'll notice something already floating in the sky. That's no moon. It's a space station. Yes, we already have a giant football field-sized international space station in orbit around the Earth that's helping us learn how humans can live and thrive in space for long durations. The space station has six astronauts, American, Russian, and Canadian, living in it right now, conducting research, learning how to live and work in space over long periods of time, routinely welcoming visiting spacecraft and repairing onboard garbage mashers, etc. Nice reference there. We've also got two robot science labs, one wielding a laser, roving around Mars, looking at whether life ever existed on the red planet. Keep in mind, space is no longer just government only. Private American companies, through NASA's Commercial Crew and Cargo Platform Office, C-3PO, are ferrying cargo and soon yeah. crew to space for NASA and are pursuing human missions to the moon this decade. Even though the United States doesn't have anything that can do the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs, we've got two spacecraft leaving the solar system and we're building a probe that will fly to the exterior layers of the sun. We are discovering hundreds of new planets and other star systems and building a much more powerful successor to the Hubble Space Telescope that will see back to the early days of the universe. We don't have a Death Star, but we do have floating robot assistants on the space station, a president who knows his way around a lightsaber and advanced marshmallow cannon <laughs> and the, from the kids, uh, and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, which is supporting research on building Luke's arm, floating droids, and quadruped walkers. We are living in the future. Enjoy it. Or better yet, help build it by pursuing a career in science, technology, engineering, or a math-related field. The president has held the first-ever White House science fairs and astronomy night on the South Lawn because he knows these domains are critical to our country's future and to ensuring the United States continues leading the world in doing big things. If you do pursue a career in science, technology, engineering, or math-related fields, the force will be with us. Remember, the Death Star's power to destroy a planet, or even a whole star system, is insignificant next to the power of the force. Nice. You're right, Whistler. He doesn't point out that in a minute here, we're not going to have anyone alive that's been to the moon. They never address that at all. We got we got rockets going out of out of the galaxy, out of the solar system, but nobody's going to go back to the moon. 
Jeez. <laughs> yeah, but the moon is old news, right? You know, ever since the onion had its front page, holy S man walks on moon, uh, you know, it's, it's old news. Next is, next is Mars, etc. But I thought it was really kind of cool that they made sure that whoever it was that responded, it wasn't just a response that was sort of like, well, since they're responding, that's cool. The person who responded made so many references to it, uh, to the films and such, that it showed that they really were kind of taking this in the spirit in which it was given and using it as a platform to, you know, suggest pursuing careers in those fields that, of course, the United States desperately needs if we are going to continue space exploration. I thought that was cool, but it does mean that as we look ahead, no Death Star on the horizon. Oh. Or Sun Crusher, hopefully. I, I only saw this after the response came out. I, I missed it during the petition form, so I didn't have a chance to, to sign it. I mean, I wonder, did I dodge a label? W did everybody signing this, did they get labeled a bunch of kooks and stuff like when we signed the uh, petition of 2000? I mean, I don't know. You have an FBI file now because you want to have <laughs> something that blows up planets. You're on a terrorism <laughs> watch oh, yeah, list. The, the Star Wars EU terrorism watch list. <laughs> You're allowed to get on planes, but they search for lightsabers and such, or vibroblades. They're like, these EU guys, they're a rogue fascist group. We gotta watch them. Not even other Star Wars fans agree with these guys. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> right, so what is coming up? What is some of the stuff that is coming up in 2013 that we should all be uh, excited or cringing about here, Mark? Well, granted, now all these dates that are subject to change, uh, you know, we're going to kind of go month by month here and kind of do a quick rundown. And then, you know, we'll just discuss the the, uh, the works after we run down the month. Uh, in January, we had uh, the first, we had a release of Scoundrels in Hardcover, as well as the Clone Wars Darth Maul Shadow Conspiracy. On the second, Purge Tyrant's Fist number two of two came out. On the ninth, we had Star Wars number one. On the 23rd, we will be having Blood Ties Volume 2, Boba Fett is Dead, the trade paperback. On the 29th, we will have the final book in the Fate of the Jedi series, Apocalypse, coming out in paperback, wrapping that series up for those of you that have waited that long. And then we also, on the 30th, have Agent of the Empire Hard Targets number 4 of 5, uh, and that is January. Now, Nathan, we were talking before this, and uh, I believe uh, Shadow Conspiracy, that Darth Maul one, that gets some significant spoilers in the Clone Wars, right? Oh, yeah. If we're going to talk details about those spoilers, we probably should wait for either the episodes to air or maybe lump it into the end of this episode with a spoiler warning of a you're not missing anything if you don't listen to the last five minutes or something kind of thing. Because what they've done is Jason Fry did a novelization, a young reader novelization here of Revival, which we saw was actually supposed to be, I think, the next episode after this droids arc just ended. But it wound up being the first one because they moved it forward to, you know, build on the excitement of Maul and everything. So Revival's in it. But then the other three parts are the ones that air over the next three Saturdays from now. And there are, I'll put it this way, there are three major deaths that happen within the next three episodes. Uh, ones that are going to sort of rock the foundations of a lot of the things that we tend to think of as core Clone Wars television series concepts. But, of course... Just like with releasing the movie novelizations, you know, a month before the movies come out, here we are. They've just spoiled those episodes of The Clone Wars by putting this out early. I was kind of shocked. I mean, I, I get mm -hmm. that they keep doing that, but it's frustrating that they keep doing that. Surely, you know, I guess the argument can be made, well, people wouldn't buy a novelization if they've already seen the film. So to capitalize on the hype and, and the excitement, you've got to put it out early. But 
you know, it's an immediate spoilerific blast out there as to what happens. Yeah, that's definitely a a, a path you want to tread, I don't know, precariously. I mean, I think about when episode three came out, I read the book before I saw the movie, and I really enjoyed the movie that much more because I did that. In that case, you know, I was worried going in that I was going to be ruining a lot of things, but I really enjoyed it. It had the opposite effect. Oh, yeah, me too. I call it the Stover effect. I would actually listened to the audiobook, the unabridged audiobook of episode three prior to seeing the film. And I think that my love for that film and why it's my favorite Star Wars film is less because of what's on screen and more because of all the subtext that I get when I see the film based yeah. on having read the novel. It's that Stover effect is... It's pretty heavy. It kind of makes me wonder if I should be reading Shadow Conspiracy instead of just <laughs> catching the spoilers um, so that perhaps I can get more out of it, seeing as how I know that uh, Jason Fry says he's added little bits and pieces. Now, speaking of Jason Fry, is this his first actual book? I mean, he's he's done other things like, you know, illustrated guides. Uh, he's worked with the, uh, the Essential uh, Warfare and stuff like that. But is this his first actual published novelization in the Star Wars universe? I mean, he's done a ton of articles. He's done uh, different uh, role-playing game scenarios and stuff like that for the Wizards of the Coast website. He has done a lot of guidebooks that tie into the Clone Wars, which I think is why he was a perfect choice for this. Uh, he did do that Deader Than a Triton Moon, that uh, short story up on hyperspace, uh, before it became a dumbed-down Pretty Pictures website, as I always say. But yeah, from the standpoint of being an originally published fiction adaptation, I think this is his first. Interesting. Cool. That, that's uh, hopeful for those of you out there hoping to see him maybe someday write an Imperial Commando 2. <clears throat> anyway, uh, you know, the other thing about this is uh, Blood Ties, that volume two of the trade paperback, I believe that's the last of the Blood Ties. Um, kind of yep. kind of bummed there. Star Wars number one, I, I myself have finally read my copy. I actually found it kind of enjoyable. A lot, a lot better than I thought I was going to. Scoundrels, we'll be talking about that next episode, as long as I am able to finally get through it, but it's looking very doubtful. I, it, it's crazy. I am having the worst time with this dang book. I know, I know you've had a positive reaction to it. I'm not looking forward to reviewing it at this rate. I'm like, man, I'm gonna be the negative one. Yeah, shoes on the other foot. Uh, <laughs> as far as that Star Wars number one, uh, in the shadow of Yavin, I actually, I mean, I like what I saw. I think what gives me a little bit of hope is, and we're going to wind up reviewing that once we actually get a chance to get the entire storyline out. And in an upcoming episode of uh, Star Wars Action News, I should be on there um, talking about just this first issue. But I got to say, knowing that the Early Victories Omnibus recently gave an exact date for uh, Vader's Quest as being two months after Yavin, knowing that they have basically managed to say that because all the name is that's given in Vader's Quest is Skywalker... That means that when we see Vader also get the name of the rebel who destroyed the Death Star as Luke Skywalker in the old Marvel series, and I believe it was Dark Lord's Gambit, that those two still fit together. He finds the last name, then he gets the first name with confirmation of the last name, which makes sense. And this story, it says just kind of shortly after the Battle of Yavin in the inside cover, but it says within the story itself that it's been two months. Uh, approximately two months since the Battle of Yavin. So if this is shortly after what we get in Vader's quest, then it makes sense for him in this issue to be, you know, troubled by the name Skywalker. Unless they're trying to say that it's like the Force is somehow pushing the name Skywalker into his mind, and maybe this is something where he's already thinking about it before Vader's quest confirms it. But they're both apparently taking place around the same time. 
uh, Leia flying as a pilot. That rubbed a lot of people wrong, but I've been rereading all the Marvel stuff to go back for the uh, from the Star Wars Library videos up on YouTube, and I gotta tell you, going through that, Leia is a pilot and in pilot gear a lot more often than most people realize. So I'm not that concerned about it. It's just a question of how much they're going to get yeah. into it. Is she all of a sudden going to be a fighter ace? I mean, in this one, at least, she's behind Luke, and both of them are behind Wedge in terms of uh, of skill and experience yeah. at this point, which is kind of cool. So I'm not that was, too concerned yet. That was my original concern, too. I was like, oh, great. They're going to make her, like, I, I was expecting her to be kind of like a rogue leader all of a sudden. They were going to put her in that. And then, you know, as I was actually stopping and reading actually what it said, it was like, okay, no, she's the third scout. Okay, that makes sense. And, and she didn't know too much about fighter pilot technology or, or comments and all that kind of stuff. She didn't have the lingo down. And I, I thought that worked out well. And then we saw her get her quote-unquote command from Mon Mothma. So that was kind of cool. I'm actually really excited about it. Plus, when they had that little – there was a scene where – uh one of the mechanics was was mocking her for wearing her all white little jumpsuit and stuff. I thought that fit really well with what mm-hmm. you know a lot of people were were doing when they originally just saw those images before they read the comic. Same thing, and I, I thought that that played well to a lot of ignorance that people naturally have. Yeah, and it had a lot of nice echoes in it too. If you're a fan of the really really early stuff, because Luke got that kind of mocking from time to time, and uh, when Luke went on trial for potentially killing Shira Bree, only to realize that she was actually an Imperial spy, etc., etc., um, there are moments where he is getting no respect whatsoever, despite having been cleared from that. It reminded me of those scenes, plus the whole issue of you know her taking on a TIE pilot on the ground on her own after the TIE crashes down after a battle uh, <laughs> reminded me a lot of there's a story it's going to be in wild space the omnibus we're going to talk about is one of the new releases coming up um, called the day after the death star and it used it was originally published in the UK eventually it was published over here in Marvel illustrated book Star Wars number one back in uh, the 80s I guess I think it was the 80s is that or uh, 79 or something like that um, very early on and now it's being reprinted here, but that's the story in which Luke kind of does the same thing. He's all hyped up after the victory at Yavin. He winds up going out on a joyride, winds up running into a TIE, a TIE fighter that was a straggler. They fight. TIE fighter crashes. Um, Luke winds up having to take him down uh, in person only. In his case, he defeats him, but doesn't kill him, and they later retcon that to be Coral, the TIE yeah. pilot in Young Jedi Knights. I so, thought so. Definite echoes there. I, it makes me think that when he talks about be, having been a fan of that era and being more familiar with the continuity of that era, he's being truthful. Brian Wood is being truthful in that he's seeped in that era, not just in what's come out recently with like Rebellion and Empire and such, but maybe also in the old Marvel stuff. And, and that he's really going to make sure this all either fits or at least doesn't contradict so it can fit along the way. I'm I'm much more positive about the series after reading the first issue, but I want to reserve judgment on whether it really is going to be a good thing or a potentially dangerous thing until we get the whole first arc done. Yeah, I want to say it's going to be good. I think Dark Horse just, just you know, hosed it over with the way they're marketing it. I, and I think they're doing that on purpose. I think they're trying to shock and all the fans to get more sales. The whole, all new Star Wars, and we're not going to worry about what came before. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, might as well have said that for Scoundrels. I mean, it could have worked just the same, but you didn't want to freak everyone out, so you didn't do that, you know. But, you know, I, I, well, you mentioned that, that wreck with the TIE fighter, you know, and I don't want to talk about this too much because we'll talk about it when we get that arc done and we actually do an episode dedicated to Star Wars first arc. But 
when I looked at that scene and the TIE fighters down on the ground, I'm just thinking the way that crashed, that thing must have did some end over end over end over end action. Like that TIE fighter pilot must have been so dizzy and ready to vomit. He was a a standing duck, you know, duck in a barrel for land (laughs) coming around the corner. And I will say another thing I like about this series, and some people are going to hate it. uh, I I am sort of one of those who I like stylized artwork, but there are times when it grates against me. It just kind of depends on the feel of it. Like I really wasn't a big fan of the stylized artwork of Invasion. But at the same time, I like the stylized artwork in, of all things, the Yavin Basilica, which is one of the most stylized Star Wars art stories out there. Um, I actually really like the artwork in this. Granted, you know, yeah. the angles are a little bit sharper and such that you see with, with Vader's helmet and such. And yeah, some people are going to be grumbly about that. But I really like the artwork here. And again, it's important that Star Wars gets new blood. Between this and the new Legacy series, Star Wars is getting quite a bit of new blood in comics at this point, And that's great. Of course, the question remains whether or not, you know, the Star Wars license is going to wind up jumping to Marvel now that Disney has acquired it. Um, but at, under Dark Horse right now, we are getting a lot of new blood. And this comes right after. I was very shocked. I hadn't realized that Randy Stradley was not just writing as Mick Harrison. He was writing as Wells Hartley, too. I didn't realize yeah. Wells Hartley was him also. So it kind of felt like the stable of writers has been pretty static for a while at Dark Horse, and now they're really opening it up right here before what might be a momentous change in terms of where the license goes. Well, two real quick things before we jump into February. I agree. I love the art. That, to me, was one of the coolest things about this comic. Um, you know, not all the characters looked like who they looked like, but honestly, I like this version of most of them. I would say all but Han. Uh, you know, I like them better. The Vader angles, I think that they did that mainly to kind of give you the, uh, he lowered his head, and so therefore he looks more menacing. But you know, it's just one of those things where it, it just didn't quite play very well. But you, you mentioned blood and you mentioned Marvel and the Disney thing. And you had recently discovered something that I found was very interesting. And that's why I'm throwing it out here now is that Jan Durisma used to actually do art for Marvel. Yeah, actually, uh, Jan Durisma did the art for a story called The Dream. It was issue 92 of the Marvel series. It's actually one of the issues I had when I was a kid. And I always really, really liked the imagery. And it's an issue in which... Luke keeps having dreams about Vader, but the dream keeps ending as Vader's taking his helmet off. He winds up in that dream having a vision of Yoda and Anakin, though, of course, Anakin looks like Sebastian Shaw as the original Force ghost, not as Hayden Christensen. So now we can say, how does he recognize him and lets us through the Force? Um, But he winds up talking with them only to realize that this Vader that he's being warned about, there is a man coming who is a sort of a new Dark Lord type figure, but it's not Vader, it's Flint. It's this guy that we saw get recruited by Vader back in the third Star Wars Marvel annual, and now he's back. Uh, they don't say he was trained at this point by Lumaya, but they eventually wind up in the EU retconning that it's Lumaya's apprentice. I really loved that when I was a kid. I thought the artwork was great, and now I'm reading the Omnibus for a long time ago, Volume 5, to go back and do From the Star Wars Library, only to run into this issue and think, wow, this is a huge jump up in the artwork. I wonder who... Well, I'll be. It's Jan again. So it's awesome to see... Because uh, this is the same era, the post-Return of the Jedi era, when we also get that uh, comic, The Alderaan Factor, which was Randy Stradley's first Star Wars comic. He wrote one comic back in the Marvel days, too. So it's cool to see uh-huh. some current creators in the, the mix there. Yeah, I mean, that gives me hope because, you know, the, the concept of Marvel getting it and Dark Horse losing it, I, I, I mean, I panic. You know, John and Jan, my dream team. You know, and then you've got John Jackson Miller as well, you know, but now that, to know that some of these people have worked on other things, I was like, hey, that gives me hope. There's my out. 
This is true. And uh, I guess before we leave January, one quick comment on Purge the Tyrant's Fist. I really like this particular uh, two-issue storyline for Purge, uh, specifically because it seems as though it's the beginning of maybe not the Jedi Purge, because the Jedi Purge itself, you know, technically, I guess, starts with Order 66. But the fact that this kind of starts the idea of if you want to really break the idea of the Jedi in the galaxy, you have to essentially eliminate the memory of them, cause people to stop remembering them so fondly and such, that it's more about almost psychological warfare than it is about actual warfare, yeah. and I love the way that played out. I should say, the only upsetting thing for me about that was that my issue of that did not come to our comic store. My comic store just didn't get it, and they still haven't got it. It's like, what the heck? i got to call them, in fact, when this episode's over and go, where is my issue? Because now I've got that burning desire lit. <laughs> in February, we have on the 6th, Star Wars Dark Times, number 23, Fire Carrier, part 1. On the 13th, we have the Omnibus Infinities. Also on the 13th, Star Wars number 2, In the Shadow of Yavin, part 2. On the 20th, Agent of the Empire number 10, Hard Targets, part 5 of 5. On the 26th, we're going to have our paperback release of The Last Jedi. That ties into the, uh, what is it, the... Coruscant Knights. Coruscant Knights. I don't know why I want to call it the Coruscant Jedi. <laughs> and then on the 27th, we have Dawn of the Jedi, The Prisoner of Bogan, number 3 of 5. Yeah, this looks to be a, kind of a, a mixed bag of a month here. I'm a big fan of Age of the Empire. I'm excited to see where they wind up with this one. Uh, a lot of people have forgotten as they're reading Hard Targets that it actually started with something that was kind of later in the story and then flashed back to earlier. So we're kind of building up to what we saw at the beginning of the first issue of Hard Targets. Um, we've got the Omnibus Infinities. I love those series. I'm not going to buy the Omnibus because I already got them as individual issues, but for those who never got a chance to see the what-if versions of the Star Wars films, that's an awesome set of stories. Um, Dawn of the Jedi, great series. Excited to see where it's going. Uh, Star Wars number two, again, kind of excited to see where that's going, but at the same time, this month is the month that has the return of Dark Times with Fire Carrier and the return of Coruscant Knights, sort of, with The Last Jedi. And Neither of those are, are things that I'm at all excited about. I am so freaking tired of Dark Times giving us stories that I can't get into that I just don't care about giving me characters that to me have never really felt like they were anyone that I can either relate to or get excited about. I mean, they say that this is the story that brings together a lot of earlier storylines, but you know what? They've said that before. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> As for The Last Jedi, yay, we get another Jax Pabin novel. Now, those novels weren't bad necessarily in their storyline prior to this, uh, with Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonhoff working together on it, but they couldn't get continuity right to save their lives when they wrote the Coruscant Knights books, constantly getting, among other things, the dates of the movies wrong. And that wound up changing the end of the third book, right? The third book. Uh, I-5 has been carrying around this Bota for years and years. He's been carrying it around for decades, so now Darth Vader uses it, and it's like a bad trip because it's gone bad and it doesn't work the way he expected it. That's wonderful. Awesome conclusion. Except for the fact that he got it during the Clone Wars, which was not decades ago. It was at most, what, a year or so ago as of that story. They undermined their own conclusion to their own story by completely fouling up the dates and yet nobody caught it. I'm, I'm excited to see another Star Wars book that kind of deals with characters outside the mainstream, which is what Jax Pavin is. But... The continuity train wreck they've made of the other books in Coruscant Nights makes me absolutely wary of this new book, because what if it happens again? You know, they should take some measure of, of, uh, of caution, I guess, 
because they know how many errors there were in the previous books. If this one repeats those errors again, my confidence in the Delray editors goes out the window. Because <laughs> hey, question. you can't do this over and over again and not fix it. Yeah. Now, a quick question on that book. Do you think they should or should not touch the Evan Peel as like a, a retcon or a flashback or, or find some way to write in an explanation? That'd be cool if they did. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that it's necessary, but they could, in theory. Um, that, of course, does assume that it is going to be, you know, that the, the Clone Wars and this EU are still connected together. I'm still of the mind that um, there's always a chance that they'll wind up excising this version of the Clone Wars, the cartoon version, out and say that there's the films plus this Clone Wars and the new movies or something like that. But, mm. oh, I mean, it if they've got a, one that makes sense, like maybe it was another Lannick Jedi who was acting under the name even, or maybe it was a, a um, it was a clone of him or something from an experiment that went wrong or something, so he wasn't as strong as he needed to be. Um, that kind of thing could work, but I don't know. I, I don't see them. I put as I don't see them trying to do it necessarily because I don't think it's necessarily something they have to do. Yeah. I also am not sure I want Bonhoff and Reeves to be the one to do the fix. <laughs> because their continuity and chronology issues in the previous books leave me with zero faith that they would get it right. Yeah. Now, for me, uh, you know, the Infinities, I've got just one of those. Uh, and, and of those, my wife actually did a hand painting of uh, it's the Empire Strikes Back with the cover of Vader slashing through Luke in the uh, Force Ghost. Or not the Force Ghost, in the Force Cave where Luke's seeing the Force Ghost of Vader. Uh, and I've got that on my desk. I, it's one of my favorite things that my wife's ever made for me. You know, just really cool. It was a great image on that. I loved, I love the concept of those. In fact, the one thing that bugs me about that is that they haven't kind of launched those as independent universes. It would have been cool to see more, you know, more about like, especially with the third one with Leia as the Jedi. You know, it, it'd just be interesting to every now and again go back and give me one more arc set in that universe kind of thing. I think that'd be a cool little fun thing to do. Or just, you know, or not even going on with those, but going on with just the concept of the what-if-style Infinities. I mean, yeah. where where are Infinities the Phantom Menace? Infinities, you know, Attack of the Clones, etc., etc. I mean, granted, Infinities, you know, the Phantom Menace might wind up being better than the original film. But we could have some that. pretty cool concepts here. You know, like, what if uh, Mace Windu had killed Sidious? Uh, or what if, uh, I don't know... Uh, Anakin had gotten there soon enough to save Shmi. What mm -hmm. if, uh, I don't know, uh, for the for a uh, uh, Phantom Menace, you know, what if their hyperdrive had not been damaged and they never had to go to Tatooine? Yeah. What if Yoda died and you know, Anakin ended up you know beating Obi Wan and Obi Wan ended up slinking off as a robot? You know, I mean, there's so many things. When I first got into comics in the Marvel comics, uh, one of my favorite comic lines, and I've got a lot of them, is the What If series. You know, the, the unlimited pot, uh, potential there was just really fun. Uh, you know, but for me, I, I, know, I know you don't like it, the Dark Times. I'm excited. It's got the Kukruk issue, the, the arc of him. And I really think that, that of all the arcs we've had out there, I think this one's got the most potential of actually doing what the series is supposed to have done. I mean, I've, I've had hope for what was going on with the main character, and it's just, it's not quite gotten what I hoped for. But the concept of Kukruk and the fact that he manages not only to, to show up in Legacy, but he shows up sometime post New Jedi Order, you know, but even though we haven't seen him show up in the books, he's technically there. And I want to know how he gets there. I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing his life through the EU. It could be 
the best single arc of Dark Times. It could be the valedictorian <laughs> of summer school. Yeah. Now, you know, the rest, they're all series comic wise. I'm looking forward to all of these, you know, the Star Wars number two, the Age of the Empire, Dawn of the Jedi, all are really good stories. I'm liking where they're going so far. Uh, Star Wars number two, it's so early. It's, it, you know, the sky's the limit. So there's that excitement there. Last of the Jedi. I'm just curious. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about a lot of things. I'm curious they chose that name when it's so like so many other names that they've used. But that seems to be a Star Wars thing. Let's just keep recycling everything. But, you know, February seems to be kind of an interesting month. Uh, more comics, really, than anything else. It seems to be, what, our only paperback release of the year, at least uh, as of right now. Um, and then moving into March, we've got March 6th, Dark Times number 24, Fire Carrier Part 2, Star Wars number 3, uh, and that's also continuing The Shadow of Yavin Part 3. We've got The Clone Wars, Defenders of the Lost Temple, that's a comic digest, and Star Wars Legacy number 1, Prisoner of the Floating World Part 1. That's the new Legacy... Uh, spin-off slash prequel like i'm not even sure where they sequel. said it it's a sequel it, they call it a sequel but yet they say it's taking place before the other one so i'm no, wondering are they going to do like the first one where it takes place you know a little bit forward and then they leap forward again i mean well, that, that's how the first one did but the, they, they showed Cade young and then they jumped forward like five or ten years they could do the same thing in this first one but that's not what the solicitation copy says the really? solicitation copy says uh, despite her famous heritage, Ania, A-N-I-A, Solo, is just a girl trying to make her way in the galaxy gone bad. Uh, but it all gets worse when she comes into possession of a lightsaber and an Imperial communications droid and discovers she has been targeted for death. She's Han and Leia's great-great-granddaughter introduced into the Legacy Saga. In the aftermath of war, mm. war with a capital W, the Solo clan lives on. A new ongoing series uh, from the acclaimed creators of Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes, which makes me say they were acclaimed. I never heard of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like that is a, a sequel series from what it sounds like. I mean, it'd be nice if they gave us some background on her and what was she doing during the rest of it. But, uh, yeah, I remember hearing in the beginning that there were some rumblings that this might be a prequel, but the solicitation copy makes it pretty clear that this is post, uh, yeah. Well, see, see, that's what made me think that they might've been doing a flashback. Cause the first thing it only said, like, it was like something like set 100 ABY. And I was like, well, the other one's 140. That makes no sense. And then I was thinking, well, the first one did that where, you know, yeah, it was set at 140, but they kind of scrolled back the timeline to give you the setup. And I thought, well, maybe maybe that first thing put out the setup date. Like, you know, maybe they kind of give you the birth of her or something and then jump forward to after the events. I don't know. You, you know, they, they like to play with words. So it, it makes speculating on these things so dang difficult. Uh, also, we have on the 27th, both Dawn of the Jedi, Prisoner Bogan number four or five, as well as Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, a hardcover comic with a dust jacket. Found that kind of interesting that they're going that route instead of going trade paperback. Yeah, this looks to be another one of these packed months. I mean, not a lot of new things being introduced. We do have Legacy. I'm very excited to see that continue. Uh, we've been told that Cade Skywalker could appear, but he's not going to appear in the first arc. So it'll be interesting to see where things go after the events of Legacy War. I like that time period. I uh, just kind of I hope that it it builds on the time period as opposed to being something where you're kind of like, oh, I kind of wish they would have stopped it. Before, kind of like the way that I felt about Knights of the Old Republic War compared to the regular Knights of the Old Republic series. But this is also the month, of course, that we get Clone Wars Defenders of the Lost Temple, which is an unusual uh, Clone Wars digest in that this is the one that deals with a clone who appears to be Force-sensitive. Now, we've seen yeah. clones of Jedi in the Clone Wars with the Renegade Squadron, or excuse me, Elite Squadron uh, video games for Battlefront, the one that was on the DS and on the... PSP, but we those were clones of someone else, not clones of Django Fett. So 
Well, part of me wonders, is he a clone of Jango Fett? You know, how is this going to wind up playing into things? And of course, you know, this again gives the lie to Rom Kota's babbling about <laughs> no one can clone a Jedi when his own apprentice apparently was to make the ones in Elite Squadron. And now we've got this instance where at least we have apparently a clone with some force sensitivity, or at least thinking he has it. Well, on Coda, I mean, you know, I, I think it's safe to say Coda was never an authority on cloning. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that a lot of people put too much authority in that Jedi's word. But now, I, I think back to, uh, was it the Cestus Deception? And we had that clone Jango Tad, I believe it was. And they were teaching him certain uh, force meditative techniques. And it, it, and they gave you the impression that it was kind of awakening a somewhat force sensitivity in him. They didn't call it that. But they, the way it was worded, I definitely came away with a strong impression that if they did these exercises long enough, that that could happen. And I want to say I, I had that, that feeling kind of almost strengthened again in Karen Travis's Clone Wars books that, that she kind of did the same kind of thing, explaining away, you know, kind of centering yourself and stuff like that. So I'm very interested to see where this goes. I, I know when it comes to cloning and cloning Jedi, I've been wanting a book that deals with Palpatine and, and, when he clones uh, Sabath and, and how all that plays down. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff when it comes to that cloning and cloning of the Jedi angle that that it's so murky that there really there really needs to be a book that kind of addresses and ties things in almost in a Death Star kind of way of grabbing all these different little plot threads that have been left around and kind of tying it together and going here's your solution because there's really a, a murky water. I mean, it, it's it's like feeling like I'm part of the Jedi Council in Episode One, going wow, there's Sith here. The, the force is so murky, I don't know where to look. You know, another thing, though, you know, I can't say enough how much I'm excited about this new legacy. I really, 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 really hope, though, that the Mandalorians play a key part in this arc at some point. Because their arc has already been established. Uh, number 41 was the last one where we saw Hondo Carr go off. He's going to go take out the Mandalore and he's going to reclaim the heritage and nothing else after that. And so... I kind of, I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of want to see it factor heavily into the story arc, but at the same time, even if it does like it did in the, in the last legacy where they only give it like four issues, as long as it gets a conclusion, I think I'll be happy. But I really think there's some potential there that they could tie this in and really work out the story with what's going on with Solo and all this. And the other side of that is, how did, how did Alana manage to keep the Solo name? I mean, I was worried when Jason had a little girl that, okay, well, there goes the Solos, but they've managed to hold on to that name for this long interesting i want to know what you know i want to know the whys gotta know more most of the rest of this stuff though it's all stuff that I'm, I'm continuing to be excited for more of it to come out the main thing there is the legacy i'm really really excited for that in march uh nathan you want to hit up april real fast sure uh april looks like we are going to be seeing uh at least one maybe two issues of dark times fire carrier parts three and possibly four as well we have the uh, trade paperback release of Volume 3 of Knight Errant, entitled, of course, Escape. We will see the Book of Sith on the 16th released as a regular edition, rather than the one with the big uh, holocron thing that's so expensive. We then also have the premiere of another new Darth Vader series, this time by Tom Seidel, who I believe is new to Star Wars, at least to Star Wars comics, on the 17th. This will be uh, Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, number one. And we, of course, have the second issue of Legacy coming out that month. That Darth Vader in the Ninth Assassin, that looks kind of interesting. Like He's taken down eight assassins before, and uh, someone wants to kill Vader. Ooh, who could it be? The cover looks kind of intriguing. It looks like a gargoyle kind of like dude sitting there. I, You know, they haven't given too much about it, but I have actually got to admit, 
I'm starting to like the Darth Vader series more and more. I mean, the first couple were a little hard to get into, but after Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, I, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this a lot. I kind of, I'm kind of, I don't know, optimistic here. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't as big a fan of uh, Darth Vader and the Lost Command, but Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison was really, really good. So now that we have that, seeing another one coming out, you know, kind of, it, it gives me hope. For the new series, but at the same time, it's by an author that I'm not at all familiar with. So it kind of makes me wonder, you know, is this going to be as good or not? Of course, then again, we just saw Purge the Tyrant's Fist, written by Alexander Freed, whose work in the Old Republic comics I really was not a fan of, only for Tyrant's Fist to turn out very well. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. Speaking of, we've got May. We've got the seventh Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. That's the hardback book that goes into this we've got on the 22nd dawn of the jedi number 10 prisoner of bogan part 5 of 5 wrapping up that arc on the 22nd darth maul death sentence sees its trade paperback released the 25th we all know what that is the 30th anniversary of star wars episode 6 return of the jedi just throwing that out there and on the 29th we're going to have wild space volume 1 omnibus i find that interesting though that it's volume 1 like what 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 exactly real quick is that like is that a wild space series something i've never heard of i mean what wild space is the one i've been looking forward to ever since they started talking about reprinting the marvel stuff this is uh, the ah. rare and uncollected stuff actually this is one that collects a lot of the uh, previously uncollected or unreprinted stuff which i've been excited about since we found out they were doing a marvel reprint set of omnibuy uh we have uh, star wars 3d from blackthorn numbers one through three which i have uh star wars devil worlds number one and two, it's actually classic Star Wars Devil Worlds number one and two, which reprinted a lot of the early uh, original UK stuff. Star Wars Death Mask, which is cool because that's the only UK exclusive thing that was not reprinted, I believe. We have a Star Wars Weekly numbers 60, 94 through 99, and 104 through 115, which are reprints of stuff from the UK. We have uh, Star Wars Stories from Pizzazz numbers 10 to 16. That's the War on Ice and whatnot. So we'll have a War on Ice plus the uh, stuff from the early possessed stuff, like the Keeper's World and whatnot, I believe. We have the Rebel Thief, X-Wing Marks the Spot, Imperial Spy, and Gambler's Quest, which are from the Star Wars Kids magazine from back in the day. Star Wars The Mixed Up Droid, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. We will finally see uh, the mini-comics that were released through Galoob and Ertl, as with some of the tie-in materials. And we will have that Droids comic from Applejack. So it's kind of cool. We yeah. now have a bunch of this just kind of random stuff that has never been collected, finally getting collected in one spot. So if you've been looking for Marvel Illustrated book Star Wars number one or number two, you can kind of ignore it because it looks like it's going to wind up showing up here. If you've been looking for old pizzazz That's magazines, cool. it'll show up here, et cetera, et cetera. I'm actually glad that Dark Horse is doing that. You know, I mean, that, that's been a constant thing in the regards of insider type materials. You know, you get these free, you know, free little exclusive short story here, there. And then, you know, people want to see their tales books and stuff. And then you've got like John Jackson Miller where they collected the Lost Tribe stories. The fact that they're putting these things out in collections like that is really cool because, you know, yeah, it's fun to hunt them down and get them, but not always are you successful in your hunting and so you know when you got holes in your collection and this stuff's out of date not being printed anymore it's frustrating you want to get it and now they're offering it and that's cool um speaking of cool things though you know i've got it in singles but you should get it not you nathan but you listeners out there should get it in the trade paperback the darth maul death sentence that was a really good comic i really enjoyed the story i really enjoyed the art the plot was fun it was a fun ride all the way around 
Uh, you know, they did really cool things with both Maul and his brother in there, Savage. I think it'd be worth getting it, you know, in the trade if you haven't got it in singles already. But I think the far and away, May is going to be all about that Dawn of the Jedi, the paperback. You know, we, when we saw, uh, the, uh, Knight Errant book, you know, we didn't know what to, to expect. Anytime you get a, a book set in a new era like this, it's going to be fun. But I'm finding that the ones that already had the comics kind of set it up first, you get more out of the book. So I'm really looking forward to where they're going to go with this. I don't have really, a clue. I, I haven't really looked at the solicitation on it yet, so I, I have really nothing beyond Into the Void, and I'm assuming this has to do with the Void that that uh, oh, what is his name? Uh, the the main bad dude in in there. He's stuck on Borgen. Dagon Loke. Yeah, Dagon Loke. Uh, I want to say it's the Void that him and uh, Hawk or Rock went down into and and had their vision that it has something to do with that. I, I mean, maybe not, but it's definitely got a title that I'm interested in, and it's already a cool series. Yeah, I'm pretty intrigued by that. Uh, it, it'd be kind of neat to see it. It's going to be uh, the first of the hardcovers to actually tie into uh, Dawn of the Jedi at this point. It's supposed to be happening concurrently with Force Storm, which was that first arc of Dawn of the Jedi. It looks like what we have here is a is sort of a family-based tale. You have a character named Lenore Brock, a woman who is a Jedi or a Jedi, and she is being sent to stop her own brother, uh, who was not Force-sensitive or did not appear to be Force-sensitive, who's now obsessed with uh, uh, traveling beyond the reaches of known space by opening a cosmic gateway using dark matter that could uh, risk a huge Ooh. reaction that could destroy the entire Tython system. So uh, it's kind of interesting, but at the same time, I'm kind of wondering why is it set parallel to the, that other story? Is it just that it happens to be set then, or Ooh. are there direct connections between I'm, the two? I'm thinking connections. I mean, okay, what if he is A, successful, or close enough to being successful that this is what Zesh notices in the Force and draws him to the planet. Because I was wondering the same thing. Why he said it before your arcs? I, either way, though, this is going to be the very first book you're going to be able to read continuity-wise. Like, <laughs> like there ain't going to be much in front of this. Yeah, by far. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. excited. That's, it's, just, it's a very, very good point. Yeah, I'm excited for May. be very cool to see Into the Void. Uh, it's going to be very cool to see the Wild Space Omnibus that I've been waiting for for a long time. I'd also note, though, that we also should get a free comic book day Star Wars comic on the 4th of May. Oh, yeah. But um, they haven't really given a lot of details about what we're going to get with it, except I believe it's a Vader and Boba Fett teaming up story, which hopefully is a new original story. Now I just had to figure out how I'm going to get it with no comic book shop still open nearby. Jody's dad's shopped a, uh, shut down a while back, and now he does most of his stuff online. So, you know, come on, help! In June, we have the paperback re-release of X-Wing Mercy Kill. For those who didn't catch it in hardback, we've got the sixth issue, of course, of the Star Wars Ongoing series and the fifth of Fire Carrier, you know, just continuing on from the ones we've already talked about. We do also get the trade paperback of Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, for those who did not check that one out. And we apparently, uh, based on some reports, but there's not a lot of details out there, we are getting an omnibus that starts to collect the legacy comic series with Cade, Skywalker, though how many issues Ooh. are in the first one, I'm not sure that we could tell other than just trying to do, you know, a uh, uh, some math on the page count and whatnot. I gotta say, I mean, of all the stuff that's in there, I'm eager to see Legacy in omnibus form. I don't know if I'm gonna buy it or not, but it's kind of cool to have that there for others to get into it. It doesn't seem as though there's really anything groundbreaking, you know, amongst those. It's pretty much just continuations and re-releases in June. Yeah, June, uh, that's about time we're going to start getting con news and things like that. That seems about right. June always seems to be a little slow. July, 
you know, and, and like we have in July, one release hardcover of Crucible. Usually that's about what we get in July. Um, I'm sure we'll have more comic solicitations by then. and That'll fill that out a little bit more. But yeah, uh, June definitely looks like a dull month. But July, I'm, I'm actually really excited about Crucible. That's uh, Troy Denning's hardcover. That's kind of the uh, passing the torch, supposedly. I mean, how many times are we going to pass the torch and fail to pass the torch? And I, and I, I, I ask that to you, Troy, since you've been in most of the series that have passed the torch. Yeah, I'm excited for Crucible if it does what it says it's going to do. Although, from what I'm understanding, it is very focused on Han, Luke, and Leia, and it has to do with some things sort of tying back into their past, where one of the characters they're going to run into's parent was someone who was uh, acquainted with Han in the past. And given the fact that uh, Troy Denning has mentioned the West End Games stuff, kind of makes me wonder if I need to go back and reread uh, Scoundrel's Luck, that solitaire adventure, which was by Troy Denning. So I'm kind of curious what they're bringing back from the past in this case. But as long as they actually pass the freaking torch, that's fine. It seems like every time they pass the torch, whoever's grabbing for the torch burns their fingers and they say, wait, let's try it again. No, please. Yeah. If this really is the bridge to the next generation of heroes, let's do it. I mean, we don't need a hundred-year gap or whatever in order to have new characters like we had to do with Legacy. We can have new characters <laughs> now. You just got to let them, you know, finally do it. How old are our solo kids now at this point. You know, they're having kids. Kind of missed the boat on one generation. (laughs) That brings us, of course, into August. Biggest release popping up in August I saw was uh, The Essential Characters, a new uh, version of The Essential Guide to Characters, where Dan Wallace says that he's not going to retread a bunch of old ground and try to stick with ones that have had major character development since previously or new characters. That's kind of cool. I mean, there's no narrative, really, to The Essential Guides to Characters, so it's not my favorite of the different lines of essential guys. But it'd be cool to finally see another one. The last one we got was what, around the time of Attack of the Clones or so? Yeah, that and that was the first of the next generation ones. So, I mean, I, I, I think for me, uh, the fact that he says that he's not going to be rehashing so many, I think that's key because that's the problem I'm having with these. It's like, what's the point? All they're doing is just updating the art, adding a little paragraph here or there, but it's basically the same 25 characters. You know, it'd be nice if they just left most of the characters that have already been in the other ones completely out of it. Just say, you know, you want to know about them, read the other book and then give you a whole new book. I mean, that to me is what they should be doing. <laughs> that is probably true. I mean, you know, at least give us something that justifies it. Unlike I'm asked about that new updated version of Star Wars year by year because it looks like only a few new pages. And that was uh, it's kind of a big purchase there uh, in September and October. The biggest things, of course, we have coming up are the 3D theatrical releases of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I'm excited for these because, not because of seeing them in the theaters, because I don't like going to the local theaters, I've mentioned before. I'm hoping now that once they get these two out in 3D in theaters, which of course I will go see, they'll then take the prequels and package them together as a 3D Blu-ray set, instead of us having to wait for all six of them to be out, or, God forbid, any of the new movies to be out. Oh, yeah, wouldn't that just suck? Your first Disney announcement, we're going to put Star Wars in 3D Blu-ray once we have all nine movies together. <laughs> like, no! I mean, you know, I, I'm excited. I, I, I'm i going back and forth because when I went and saw episode one, I went and saw it in the, in the uh, Dolby 3D. Don't do it. Don't do it. You got to watch it in real D. If you're going to watch any movie in 3D, it's got to be the real D. I mean, don't short yourself. So now my question is, do I bother with episode two in the real D? Because I know I'm going to want to watch episode three in real D. 
I mean, do I just do them all in real day now? I, I think I probably will. I, I, I like the fact that my kids are able to watch it in theater with me, and that alone is what's going to make it worth it. You know, the fact that we're going to be able to, in a couple years, all go and see a movie that Star Wars that none of us have seen, that's even more exciting. But I think this is, like, a, a great way to kind of get ready for it, if you will. Um, we don't have much going on in... in past that i mean there's really nothing else at this point nothing in december nothing else in november or october i mean that kind of is your 2013 as of right now yeah, we do have some things that haven't been announced as far as release dates go although they have been ones that were being hinted as being in 2013 like star wars detours is said to be premiering in 2013 but we haven't heard anything more really about that um, we've got, of course, uh, Star Wars 1313 that was announced. We have very little details on it, whether it comes out in 2013 or in the future. Who knows? I mean, we know that stuff like Sword of the Jedi and Rebels and all that, the books aren't until 2014 right now. At least that's uh, the way that it's sounding. I'm actually pretty excited in the fact that Fantasy Flight Games is really amping up stuff. Here, just within about the next month, we should be getting four more ships for the X-Wing Miniatures game, the uh, YT-1300 or Millennium Falcon. Uh, it's called the Millennium Falcon, but you can use it as a generic YT-1300. We should be getting Slave 1 slash uh, a Fire Spray. We should be getting an A-Wing, and we should be getting a TIE Interceptor. And for their card game, uh, which I just put up a live full game demo on YouTube, by the way, uh, youtube.com slash user or users slash Chrono Radio. It's on my YouTube channel there. Um, but uh, that's going to have the Hoth cycle of the first force packs, the expansion packs where you just buy the whole set in one pack instead of having to buy a bunch of boosters. You got the Desolation of Hoth, the Search for Skywalker, and I believe it's called the Dark Times is the other one. And then for their RPG, they've just put out that beginner game at this point, but they will finally have the real version, not the beta version, of Edge of the Empire, which is the first of the three Star Wars RPG uh, starter sets that they're going to have. You'll have that one that's set um, sort of in the fringes. Then eventually we'll have a Rebel vs. Empire one called Age of Rebellion and a Jedi-based one called Force and Destiny, but those two are expected in 2014 and 2015. So we'll finally get kind of the full-fledged set, so if you're trying to play Edge of the Empire outside the beginner's box, you'll actually be able to have the finished rules and all the dice and everything you need instead of having to use that dice app or something else. So it's, it's a big year coming in Star Wars sort of tabletop-based gaming, which is kind of cool, but we still don't know a whole lot about Star Wars in video gaming coming up in 2013, at least not yet. Yeah, that is the holdout right there. Now, you know, interesting that Sword of the Jedi and a couple of those other books are pushed back to 2014, which, and you might not even have the answer to this, I mean, it, doesn't that going to conflict with whatever is going to happen in 2014? I mean, the the contract could slip out of Delray's hands, and I, I just, I'm kind of could we possibly see in 2014 two different publishing lines putting out Star Wars books in the same year? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, shaking my head, kind of wondering. I believe that the last we heard was that the contract was renewed through the end of 2013. Um, probably they might be seeing a pushback to that, you know, stuff that was already decided. Because a lot of times the contracts are for a certain number of books, which is why sometimes they have to take one out to add a new one. Uh, so it might be that, you know, it's through that or through X number of books. It wouldn't be the first time we'd seen multiple companies. I mean, we had uh, Del Rey was reprinting some of their classic stuff and doing the guidebooks, even while Bantam still had the novel contract. We had the Young Jedi stuff coming out through uh, Berkeley Boulevard and Berkeley Jam. I honestly, I don't know off the top of my head how that plays into the 
uh, the Bantam line back at the time, Bantam Spectra and all that. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out, but I'm expecting most of the new Star Wars stuff, sort of the relaunch, if they're going to do that, or the, the shifts in terms of the, the publishing houses involved, the licensees, I expect that probably to be more of, of a 2015 thing to coincide with the new film at this point. There's too much already announced from each of these companies to not have it continue. I mean, I guess, granted, they could just cancel the contract in the middle, but I would expect there to be some type of financial penalty to that because I would think that by taking over Lucasfilm, they are taking over Lucasfilm's existing contracts as they stand. I would think so. I mean, that definitely makes the most sense. Now, that about wraps up this show. You know, we're just about out of time, as always. Remember, you can listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com, as well as iTunes, Zune, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in our search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, your comments just might be heard on the show. In fact, each month we will try to release one of our episodes that are feedback-related. Uh, where we answer your emails and the messages, but that also comes down to if you guys get enough there. If we don't get enough, we just kind of compile them up and save them until we do. So you have something to say about this episode or any other episodes, fire it off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. So once again, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't put us the odds. That Star Wars ongoing is going to foul up the continuity. Cross your fingers at home. <laughs> or the odds that we'll get anything for December. That's right, Whistler. Spoiler warning! Spoiler warning! Nathan, fire! 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 Alright, for those who just can't stand the wait, we have learned, thanks to Darth Maul's Shadow Conspiracy, that coming up within the next month or so of The Clone Wars, and stop listening if you don't want to know who dies, we will be seeing, you've been warned, the deaths of Satine, of Vizsla, and of Savage Opress. I was shocked to see these. I expected to see maybe uh, one of them. To see all three of them being wiped out before the end of this season, I'm thinking we may really be... Uh, they may be hedging their bets that this season may be the last of the Clone Wars because we know that Cartoon Network only has the, uh, uh, the license and the contract or whatever you want to call it for this series until the end of season five, and that's what we're in. <laughs> very good, very good.